I've got to um, clarify an issue that came up in the first service. We're talking a lot about lollipops. And the question came up, is it a lollipop or is it a sucker? And uh, because I taught science, most everything has a scientific name and a common name. So I'm going to educate you right now. The scientific name is lollipopus. The common name is sucker. So if you haven't had one yet, be sure to, whatever you want to call it, get one on your way out today, okay? We have, uh, at all three campuses, uh, been talking about neighbors and being good neighbors. And um, today, Claudia and I have the assignment to remind us all how important it is to show respect to our neighbors and to people older than we are and the same age and younger and much younger. And so uh, that's kind of the direction we're headed. And this picture suggests that it's not always easy. <laughs> Just to uh, kind of give you uh, a connection for how we're different, watch this video. Water. 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 Oil. 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 Again. 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 Soda. I call it pop. A Coke. If you're in the South, somebody's like, you want a Coke? You say yes, they're then going to ask you what kind of Coke. And then you'll be like, Dr. Pepper. We call it TPA. I believe that's called toilet papering a house. We got that rolling. They're rolling a house. Other than a good way to get your ass whooped, it's called TPN. <laughs> Pepsi. Well, these are roly polies. Roly poly. Roly poly. That is a hill bug or potato bug. Actually, it's a wood louse, and it's not even a bug, it's a crustacean. <laughs> I think she had me in class, too. <laughs> oh my gosh, you look at these two guys and you feel like somebody give them a lollipop or a donut or something. <laughs> they don't look happy at all. Well, you know, we are all so different. We're different in the way we say words. We're even different in the way we eat a lollipop. We're just one big bag of assorted flavors. And we're called to love and respect each other across generations all of our neighbors. You know, I love lollipops, and I have been giving away lollipops more years than I want to admit to you right now. When I taught first grade, I had this jar on my desk, 
And so the kids were rewarded with lollipops. Um, Jason on the media team today told me he remembers trying to be really good so he could get rewarded because I had this jar in children's ministry at Ellisville when I was children's minister there. Now I have a basket of lollipops on my desk at Sherwood Oaks East. And around 2 o'clock in the afternoons, you can see the staff coming in one by one, all generations, all seasons of life, but they're all coming in to get a sugar fix around 2 p.m. And the reason I love lollipops so much is that I've been watching people eat them for so many years that I can tell a lot about a person by the way they eat a lollipop. In fact, I've been studying some of you since you got in here this morning. I hope you got a lollipop on your way in. If you didn't, please pick one up on your way out because we brought a lollipop for everybody. Or just get yourself a sucker. Okay. <laughs> Ken, stay on the script. Okay. okay. <laughs> Some people chomp a lollipop. I once saw a three-year-old chomp one of those little lollipops in three seconds. I think he's probably going to grow up and be a risk taker and a very opinionated leader. I saw, oh, and I can spot a saver leadership kind of style lollipop eater, you can spot those people because they take the wrapper off very easily. They smooth it out, they fold it, because they're going to save that lollipop and eat it later. Those people are usually very conservative. You know, I, I have a, ban a, a banker friend who is a saver lollipop eater. And then you have the twirler. One of the people on our music team is a twirler. She came up and told me today, they pick a blue lollipop. And they twirl it around in their mouth, and they take the wrapper and make a basketball of it and throw it in the waste can. They're creative types. They're people you just want to be around. Now, there's also the hider-type lollipop eater. And this is a person, usually I've noticed um, approaching adolescence, and they are just too cool to eat a lollipop. So they'll pull and pull and pull on the lollipop until they pull the sticker off, or the, the stick off and throw the stick away so nobody can tell they're really eating one. That's a hider personality. Well, you know, there are so many ways to eat a lollipop. So many different personalities. Once the high school class of Sherwood Oaks came up with a list of 25 different ways to eat a lollipop, and they included the wrapper type, the surfer type, and the know-it-all type. <laughs> so there are so many ways to, to eat a lollipop. But the truth is, we're just one big bag of assorted flavors. And we're called to love each other and love our neighbors. But what happens to us as we grow up? We begin to assume that we know the right way to eat a lollipop. And if you don't eat a lollipop the way we do, you're just not quite good enough. So what happens is we tend to get in groups with people who eat lollipops the way we do. And then we start to judge and become prejudiced towards people who eat lollipops different than we do. And we point at them. We make fun of them. Sometimes people say things about them, make posts about them, snarky comments, or call them names on Facebook or Instagram just about people who don't eat lollipops the same way. What's the matter with us? We can be so silly, can't we? The truth is we're all kids. Some of us are just bigger than others. And we can be so silly. One big bag of assorted flavors called to respect and love each other across generations. And actually, we're one big mess of assorted flavors, right? One big mess.
Yeah, all of us are assorted flavors. And we need someone ahead of us to guide. We need someone who knows the way. And this is how, uh, as we talk through this, uh, how we work with different groups of people age-wise. It's amazing how we have categorized ourselves based not on how we feel or how old we feel or what we know, but what our birthday is. So we uh, are hoping and praying that there'll be someone in front of us, maybe older than we are and wiser, that we can follow, that can be our mentor, but also as we look behind us, someone who is following us and sees us as a mentor. Second Timothy 2 says, you have often heard me teach. Now I want you to tell these same things to followers who can be trusted to tell others. You know, uh, we look at partnerships in movies and places like that. Um, yeah, this is, is uh, Luke Skywalker and Yoda. Where would he be without Yoda? I'm not sure. I don't think I saw the last one. I think Luke may have passed on now. But he made it to the last movie because of Yoda. Um, uh, the uh, Harry Potter stories. Where would uh, Harry Potter be without Professor Doubledore. Who are you following? You know, we talk about mentorship. I've had, had people come to me and say, would you be my mentor? And, and I felt like an idiot. I said, I don't know. What does that mean? And, and I don't think we ask for a mentor, but we, if you think about who you look to for wisdom, maybe they don't even know it. I had somebody tell me last year, you know, you've always been my mentor. Really? I had no clue. Uh, <laughs> But, but someone, uh, and we see this in Scripture all the time, Mordecai and Esther, Elijah and Elisha, Moses and Joshua, we're going to come back to that story, Timothy and his mom and his grandmother. Respect is a value of all generations. I'm going to ask you right now, I don't want to embarrass you, but if you are between the age of 24 and 38, hold up your hand. Okay, you are... The millennials, if you are between 39 and 53, hold up your hand. Okay, you're the Gen Xers. And if you're between 54 and 74, hold up your hand. We are the boomers. And there's a place for all of us still. Here are 10 reasons. This, this worries me to death, and I don't think we see it so much here, but lots of churches, 10 reasons we are losing 59% of the millennial generation from our churches. Number one. A lot of churches are resistant to change. Number two. There's a lack of vision for the future. Number three. Mediocracy is still acceptable. Millennials want to be extraordinary. Number four. Churches don't trust millennials as leaders, but millennials can be great leaders if given the chance. Number five. Churches are sometimes too exclusive. Strange folks need Jesus too. <laughs> Number six. <laughs> There's a lot of authenticity 
a lack of authenticity, millennials appreciate transparency. Number seven. There's a need for mentorship. Millennials desire to be guided by the wise. Number eight. Churches are not dealing with culture appropriately. They're either trying too hard to fit in or not trying hard enough. Number nine. Community is not valued. Millennials regard their friends as family. Number 10. Churches struggle to remain unified. A church divided cannot stand, nor can it keep millennials' membership. Boy, that's important. You know, I'm not over here enough to know if any of those affect our millennial population, uh, but it happens in a lot of places. I tend to feel like maybe it's not here. I see a lot, I see a lot of people a lot younger than I am doing a lot of stuff here. Uh, it's funny, as you get to be a boomer in the latter years, you see a lot of people that are younger than you, period. But Yeah. Uh, well, did you notice that one of the things that young people leaving the church are asking for? Mentoring. And the, the word mentoring simply means being someone who will encourage and walk with us, helping navigate the sometimes difficult path of our one and only lives that is a little bit ahead of us. Timothy's mom and grandmother were a team that raised him to follow Christ. His dad was probably Greek, so not a believer. If you're in this room today and you're here as a single mom, look what happened to Timothy when his mom and grandmother teamed up to mender him. Timothy needs somebody to follow, so Paul came along. And he joined them as someone worth following. He even called Timothy son. Timothy, his mom, grandmother, and Paul showed respect across generation. And it's a great example for all of us as we navigate this big, messy bag of assorted flavors, reminding us that we should all be following someone a little bit ahead of us and leading someone behind us. Paul wrote it this way. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you. Who is the 21st century Paul you're pursuing right now? Who are you following that's just a little bit ahead of you? You know, I was thinking about this when I talked to my, my family who's here tonight, or who he's here today, um, John and Rish and London and Reese. You guys want to wave? <laughs> Bob and Linda, they all came and they sat in the back to support me. They're afraid if they came closer, I'd call them up here and make them talk or something. But we were talking about this, and they reminded me that thanks to the 20, 21st century technology and travel, the whole world is open to connect with Christian mentors. Uh, in fact, uh, Rish and I just listened to a podcast recently uh, about a married couple who is mentoring generations of young people. If, if you want to get that website, talk to Rish after because she'll have it in her phone. Um, but mentoring is not something someone does to someone else. It's the result of a diligent pursuit, a ruthless pursuit, to know and be known by someone you're doing life with. So pursue a Paul. Look around. Key in on someone you respect. Prayerfully ask the Lord to lead you to influencers who can have an impact on your life. Pursuing a Paul is not an activity solely for the younger. All of us can benefit from being a lifelong learner. I'm learning more every day as I have headed into my sixth decade. I feel like I don't know anything anymore. You know what I mean? When you get here, you think, oh my gosh, I'm just, 
I have so much to learn, and so many things I thought I knew, I'm wrong about now. We can always learn more. And we should all be leading someone just behind us. Paul reminds us that if you're a mom, a dad, a grandmother, grandfather, aunt, uncle, cousin, or involved with children anytime, anywhere, any place, you are someone worth following, and you are a mentor. And those children who so desperately need someone to follow are just behind you. Right, Kelly? You are a mentor. Those of us over 50 need to realize that millennials are not only the largest generation in the United States and in world history, it's estimated they'll be spending $200 billion annually by 2019 and $10 trillion over their lifetime as consumers in the United States alone. And a survey just recently showed what matters most to millennials is relationships. Right, millennials? And what matters most? There's nothing so rewarding as watching someone you have walked alongside with grow generations of Christ-like influencers themselves. Nothing more rewarding. Paul was 25 years older than Timothy. Can you imagine how he felt as Timothy learned to love and respect one big bag of assorted flavors and even wrote his own letters to churches? How Paul must have been so proud and so honored. Well, this clip from the Titans reminds us of Exodus 17, a dramatic, inspiring, exciting, incredible example of mentoring across generations. I'm going to set this up for you in case you haven't seen it. Seen it. This is uh, Remember the Titans. Um, remember that? Anybody seen that? A few, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm getting old. Uh, but the setting is uh, integration has just started. There, there are two schools in this uh, southern community one has been black the whole time, one has been white, and now integration has started, and now all those kids are in the same building. And the football teams who have beat up on each other and fought all the way, now they're on the same team. And that's an issue, as you can imagine. Uh, respect, a huge issue. And so the scene, they have been, they have been out, all these, these, all these two teams have been out together, working out, training, and so forth. And one of the coaches, the black coach, says, okay, here's where we are. This is Gettysburg. This is where a horrible battle in the Civil War took place. And I want you to be aware of what it takes now for respect. Anybody know what this place is? This is Gettysburg. This is where they fought the Battle of Gettysburg. 50,000 men died right here on this field, fighting the same fight that we're still fighting amongst ourselves today. This green field right here, painted red, bubbling with the blood of young boys, smoke. hot lead pouring right through their bodies. Listen to their souls, man. I killed my brother with malice in my heart. Hatred destroyed my family. You listen. You take a lesson from the dead. 
we don't come together right now on this hollow ground, we too will be destroyed. Just like they were. I don't care if you like each other or not, but you will respect each other. And maybe, I don't know, maybe we'll learn to play this game like men. Respect. Respect people who eat lollipops differently. You know, uh, there's a story, one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament is, uh, starts right after the parting of the Red Sea. And um, there had been, uh, the Israelites had left Egypt, they thought everything was great, and then all of a sudden somebody says, they're coming, the Egyptians are coming, and they're in chariots, and they're going to kill us. And Moses, who had a really cool staff, uh, this, this is a good one, uh, but it won't, Dave Udaley made this for me. I don't know if, uh, I know Don, let me know, know Dave, but I've tried to get it to turn into a snake. Uh, and I love snakes, but it, it just hasn't worked. And, and uh, uh, I've, I've gone to lakes, and I thought, okay. I need to walk across here. Let's see what happens. And nothing happens. And, and I've occasionally been really thirsty and smacked a rock, and that didn't do anything either. So, but Moses' staff was special. And so as you know the story, he, he took his staff and pointed out across the Red Sea, and the waters parted, and the Israelites all went across on dry land, and oh, they're celebrating. Moses has got a song he sings, and somebody says, here they come again. And the Egyptians were coming, and you know the story. Uh, the waters went back and drowned all those guys in chariots. And they're, oh, they're all, the Israelites are so happy. And then someone comes and says, hey, the Amalekites are getting together. They're coming. Now, that's a bad sign. Amalekites were evil, evil people. Uh, they compared to maybe some people that we know in our culture today, but they were a whole tribe of them. And there was no reason for them to attack the Israelites because they, weren't even, they didn't even want the land where the Amalekites were, and they weren't even going that direction. But the Amalekites absolutely hated the Israelites. They were from the, the lineage of Esau. You remember the story. Jacob got the birthright. Esau didn't because of some trickery. Jacob became the father of the beginning of Israel nation. And so the Amalekites were from a grandson of Esau, and they grew up hating the Jews just as much as Esau did. And they didn't like the one God idea. They didn't believe in one God. They had a whole plethora of gods. And, and they were evil. And when they attacked somebody, they didn't even play, play fair. They didn't fight fair. They would come around from the back, and, and if a tribe was moving they, to protect the very young, the very old, the boomers, uh, the, those that might be sick or weak, they put all of them in the back, and the Amalekites would come around and kill all them first because they were easy, kill all their families. So these were nasty people. And so Moses now, who is a boomer, says to Joshua, who is a millennial, go get your best soldiers. We're going to fight these people right here. And so Moses climbs a hill. He has Aaron with him and Ur, also boomers. And they respect Joshua, who is a millennial. They believe 
that he can do what God wants him to do. And Joshua looks at Moses, who now is standing with that staff that everybody knows that God has something going on in that staff. His arms are up, and the battle begins. And as long as Moses has his arms up and the staff, the Jews are kicking the snot out of the Amalekites. But then Moses, bless his heart, who's probably 80, gets tired, and his arms start to droop. And when that happens, the Israelites start to lose. And so, so uh, Aaron and Ur get a rock for Moses to sit on to help. So everything's good again. The Israelites are winning again. Well, then Moses' arms get tired again. And so Aaron gets one arm and part of the staff, and Ur gets the other one, and the victory is won. They couldn't do it with just Moses and Ur and Aaron. Joshua, the millennial, had to lead. And Joshua couldn't do it without Moses, the, the boomer, and Aaron and Ur. They worked together. And that's a message for us. Uh, yeah, we, we listen to those people saying words in a funny way, and we think that's, that's funny. But we're on the song, same team. We're all going the same direction. I don't know if you remember uh, Raiders of the Last Ark, the last scene of uh, the last crusade. Marcus, who's kind of a doofus, never knows where he's going, but he gets on this horse, and they start to ride out of the, the valley of the Crescent Moon, and he's, Moon, he says, follow me, I know the way. Well, guess who knows the way? It's our Lord. Yeah, thank you, Ken. He's a great storyteller, isn't he? And that is an absolute beautiful picture in Exodus 17. And at the end of the writing, and we're pretty sure Moses was the writer of this story, God says, Moses, write this down so people can remember it. A message for all of us that until the generations come together, the battle will not be won. And we are in the battle of our life, of our one and only wife, life. And Jesus is, his, his mission is you and me and the church to fight, to help ruthlessly pursue a life that follows Jesus. Moses was 80 years old when this happened. We think Joshua was in his 30s. M Moses, 80 years old, holding up that staff and encouraging the people that were younger than him because he knew. He knew who Jesus was, and he had seen what Jesus had done, and he was brave to stand with a staff above his head. You know, some of us, including myself, begin to shrink back as we get older from leadership, begin to take a, a back seat or say things like this. I have a friend who said, I've already done that. It's not my turn anymore. I served my time. You know what I mean? I have some friends who have retired and gone to Florida. And I love Florida. Florida is a great place. It's the place where dreams come true. <laughs> but there is a Florida of a heart for people who know Jesus and have served him for a long time that we never, ever want to get to. We always want to be Moses with our hands lifted up, no matter how old we are, pointing everyone to Jesus. And we get so tired 
So we need our life group. We need our family. We need our friends to come alongside and help us when we get weary and tired to stay focused on Jesus, to stay pointed to him. Jesus knew that we would need to be reminded that we are, our focus is to love him and serve him. He knew we would remember that. So he said, when you come together, remember me. And so we're about to do what disciples of Christ have done for 2,000 years. We're about to remember Jesus. We'll take a piece of bread and we'll drink a bit of juice. And an uncommon union will occur in this room. Because no matter what season of life we're in, no matter how old or young we are, no matter what difficulties we're facing, we all who follow Jesus know this. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. And Jesus is the life. Amen, family? Amen. You know, Jesus knew how badly we'd need each other and how much we'd need to come together. So in his last moments on the cross, I can hardly, I can hardly imagine this story. In the last moments of this cross, when his mama Mary was standing there and his best friend John, he looked at them and he pointed to Mary and he didn't call her mama because I don't think she could have stood it. But he said, woman, this is your son. And he looked at John and he said, son, this is your mama. And you know, I don't know, maybe you haven't had a family to point you to Christ. Maybe you haven't had a family that loves God like, like Timothy had. And Jesus knew that. So on the cross in his last moments, some of his last words to us were, you're my family. He made you my mother and my brother and my sister and my neighbor and my aunt on the cross in his last moment. And our job as Christ followers, as one big bag of assorted flavors, is to come together in common union and point others to Jesus. If you're here today and the church has hurt you, I'm so sorry. Please have grace for us because the church, you see, is one big bag of assorted flavors. And we're a mess. But in this moment, in this very moment, we can come together, united in an uncommon union, 